Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the day, and thank you for being able to say how great thou art, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How glorious to sing your praises and to think and to meditate on the wonder of your character. So take the word of God, Holy Spirit, and apply it to our lives and make us your people. So push us down the path of obedience today. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Church, we're in the book of Mark talking about the kingdom of God and the passage this morning is Mark 1, 12 to 13, which talks about Christ going into the wilderness and being tempted by the devil. But the more lengthy account of that encounter is in Matthew chapter 4. So I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, a bridge to Mark 1, 12 and 13. So here to the word of the Lord. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Mark chapter 4, verse 2 now. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these... I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now, what's interesting as you study the Bible, there, there are certain passages that are pretty well-known. This is a well-known passage. And yet, as I studied it and thought through it and prayed through it and pondered it, there, there are statements here, meanings here that I have never seen. A couple of statements here that I thought, well, what does that mean? I, and I kind of dealt with that. So, so I hope that as we study this passage that you've probably studied many times if you've been a Christian for many years, that, that, that the Lord will bring things to mind as way of application. So just three preliminary statements. The, statement number one is this, is that, is that we are people who have a high priest. His name is Jesus. He's the ultimate final high priest in the Levitical system, and he's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. He's walked the paths that many of us are walking. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says this, verses 14 and following. It says, since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession of faith. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things as we have been, yet he is without sin. He never succumbed. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in our times of need. So, so we have a high priest who has walked these paths, 
The eternal God became a man, mind-blowing thought, became a man, and by his active obedience, which means the way he lived his life, he shows us how to meet and conquer temptation in these situations. So it's very applicable for us. Statement number two is this. The end result of my obedience as a child of God is that I be like Jesus. Romans 8, 29 says, Those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So the end result of the Holy Spirit working in my heart and teaching me and drawing me unto the Lord, that the end result of that is that I would live in my particular individuality, in my calling, in my relationships, in such a way that my life speaks of Jesus. And then the third statement is that by his obedience, Christ defeats our adversary, the devil. That was done with finality at the cross when it was forever finished. But in, in this particular instance, Jesus defeats the devil and secures for us an example of how to bind the strong man. Listen to Matthew chapter 12, verse 29, which is a key verse in understanding spiritual warfare. It says this. How, Jesus says, how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then he is able to plunder the house. So by his obedience and ultimately the death on the cross, he binds the strong man whose name is Satan. So he shows us how to meet the devil and temptation. So in this passage, there are three issues that come to the forefront as recorded in the Scripture. The first temptation is this. Jesus has been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. And the Bible says he was hungry. So the devil comes to him, the accuser, the tempter, the slanderer. And the devil says to him, if you are the Son of God, he uses all these conjunctions. Be, be gear, very careful of coordinating conjunctions, if, but, and, or, so. That, that, that God is good, but. God is all wise, and yet. God is gloriously wonderful, but. Be, the, the devil does that. If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. He says, if you are the Son of God. Command these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. See, Christ could have gone voila, and there would have been a French bakery with 15 different crepe types. He could have with five chefs, a five-star restaurant in the wilderness. He's the guy who took some fish and loaves, and fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. No big deal. The issue here is not bread. The issue here is can you trust Abba, Father? Can, can you trust the goodness of God? When I think about this temptation, it's very reasonable. It's a reasonable temptation. Satan doesn't say commit murder. He doesn't say steal so that you're going to be cast 
as a villain. He doesn't say commit adultery. He says, you know, just stones to bread. No big deal. Stones kind of look like bread. Bread's just stone. no, no big deal. Stones, make them bread. It was, it was a reasonable temptation. In fact, it's really a humdrum, mundane, pedestrian temptation. And the issue, though, is the issue is can you trust the Abba goodness of your heavenly Father that leads to a life of thanksgiving? You see, when you think about this passage, the big decisions in life are preceded by the 1,000 or the 100s of tiny decisions you make every day about being ethical, being kind, not taking offense, forgiving, being gracious when people don't deserve you to be gracious to them because God's been gracious to you through Christ. It's all about being forbearing. It's all about being, just being the person God's called you to be. It's the hundred little decisions or the thousand little decisions that make you come to the fork of the road and you're able to make the really big decision. And then the issue is here, here is, can you trust Abba Father to meet your needs? Now, I thought about this guy, Daniel, in the Old Testament. Daniel is serving under a guy named Darius, a Persian king now, in Daniel chapter 6. And Daniel is a Jehovah Witness, served. he's a Jew who's been transported to this foreign land. And he's, Daniel 6 says, there are 120 key leaders who, had, who were ruling the kingdom, and Daniel exceeded them all. He was the king's favorite. He was the main man. And these guys were very jealous of Daniel. And they said to one another, they met in this clandestine meeting behind closed doors, and they said, if we're going to trap Daniel, the only way we're going to trap Daniel is to do something that's in violation of his faith in Jehovah. They said, let's do this. Let's, let's get up, write an edict that we all sign and give it to the king and say, if anybody worships any god besides the, the god of Darius, the Persian, a non-Jehovah witnesser, anybody who worships that god for 30 days, in the next 30 days, he will be thrown into a hole in the ground where there are, there are some ravenous, hungry lions who will eat him alive. And so they took the petition to Darius they said, this is a great idea. Darius probably wasn't paying a lot of attention. He signs it into law. This is what the Bible says. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chambers that were open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. I like the translation that says, as was his custom. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. And they took him to the king, and you know the rest of the story. He's thrown the lion's den, and he survived. But I'm thinking, here's Daniel, as was his custom. He just kept on doing what he did. And he gave Petitions and thanks. To, what do you thank God for? God, thank you that I'm one against 119. God, thank you that some hungry lions await me. No, God, thank you that you're good. God, thank you that I can trust you. God, thank you. But see, Daniel just kept on doing what he was doing in the small decisions of life. So when he came to a fork in the road, he just kept on doing what he was doing. He was a man of integrity. A little phrase from a guy named Nietzsche that says, a long obedience in the same direction. That's Daniel. 
A long obedience in the same direction. See, I'm very impressed by people that have a long obedience in the same direction. Day after month, after year, after year, after year, after year, they just honor the Lord. Because they understand and they trust the Abba, Father, goodness of God. Their trust leads to thanksgiving. It's interesting to me. So I thought about this passage. I said, you know, what's the opposite of thanksgiving? What's the opposite of, of a thanksgiving that flows from trust? And I think the answer is a complaining spirit. There's a book that's recently been released and it's about complaining. This is what the author says. He says that the complaining is a slow, subtle poison that builds in our systems and usually goes undetected. It may be one of the least discussed sins in the church. But its sheer prevalence may make it an acceptable sin. But that does not diminish its ugliness or seriousness. At heart, complaining is casting blame on God and suggesting that he has not provided what I am sure that I need for myself. Close quote. So, so you, just, you just complain. You just complain. I was, last week I was reviewing something called the Heidelberg Catechism and writing some things in my journal. Heidelberg Catechism written in 1683. The first question is the greatest question in catechism history. It's in the Catechism Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. It is so good. That's a joke. I didn't mean that. First question though, it says, what is your only comfort in life and death? Here's the answer. My only comfort in life and death is that I am not my own, but I belong in life and death, both body and soul, to my faithful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all of my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me. See, Abba Father. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father who is in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. And then question 26 says this. They're discussing the Apostles' Creed. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? And part of the answer is this. I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will Provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this sad world. God is able to do this because he is almighty God and he desires to do it because he is my faithful heavenly father. God is good. He's able to do this because he's God Almighty, and he wants to do this because he's my Abba, Heavenly Father. And so this whole issue of, 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 is my belief in the goodness of God leading me to trust, or do I complain? Do, do, I, do I trust God to work in my life with a difficult child, or in a difficult period in my marriage, or in a difficult period in my singleness? or in my graduate school hopes, or in my job placement? Do, do I trust the Abba, Father God, you do all things well? You can do anything you want because you're Almighty God, and you do them for me because you're my Abba, Father. I was thinking of Philippians 2, when Paul writes to the church at Philippi, he says, You've, as you're obeying in my presence, or in my absence as well in my presence, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
And when you study the Bible in context, you say, well, Paul, how, how, how do we work out our salvation with fear and trembling? This is what he says, the next, very next verse. He says, do all things without grumbling or complaining, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. And I thought, wow, how do I work out my salvation with fear and trembling? In part, church, I do all things without grumbling and complaining because I trust the Abba, Father, goodness of God. So really the first temptation is about bread, but it's really about trusting the goodness of the Father. I love Martin Luther. Martin Luther died 1546, a long time ago. Martin Luther was mercurial. He had his ups and his downs, and he had horrific digestive problems, which made him kind of prickly at times. And he was a character. He was a character. And he married a character named Katie Von Bora. Katie Von Bora was a nun and she was sequestered. She was taken out of a nunnery in a barrel that had been filled with herring just one hour before because you couldn't leave the nunnery on pain of death. And so they, they took her out with five other nuns, all in barrels that used to have herring in them. And she got out and the, married all the nuns off, but nobody would, made, would marry Katie Von Bora because she was just tough. So finally Martin Luther said, okay, I'll marry her. It was a match made in heaven. I'll marry her. So they got married, and they had, listen, they had a wonderful marriage, five kids. House was always full. She was a wonderful entertainer, a, a, a godly, glorious woman, but she was a fireball. Luther had bouts of depression, so she, she was tired of his depressive spirit in this particular episode. And so one day Luther comes home, and there is black cloth on the doorframe. Black cloth in the house. Black cloth was a symbol of death. Somebody's died. Luther comes charging in the house, wondering who's died, and she comes out of a room next to the sitting room, dressed in a black dress. And Luther goes, Katie, who's dead? What's going on? Now what's happened? Now what's happened? Who's dead? And she said, God. He said, what? She says, God is dead. And he said, you blaspheme. How dare you say that God is dead? He's the almighty living king. Try you in his glory. How can you say that God is dead? She says, because of the way you're acting. She said, if God was really alive and he was good, you would not be acting the way you're acting. Well, how's that for a wife? You know, that's a, but, 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 but she had a point. And Luther snapped out of it, I think. I hope he did. Luther snapped out of it. So it's, it's really about tr church trusting the goodness of the Father. Hmm. This, the second temptation involves, I, I call it a, the silly temptation. I just, yeah. in some type of visionary experience, the, the, the devil takes the Lord to the top of a temple and he says, if you're really the Son of God, then cast yourself off the temple and God will protect you and God will bear you up. And he really he quotes Psalm 90 which is one of my favorite psalms. And he says, he says in verse 11 through 12, he says that, uh, or Psalm 91, excuse me, verse 11, 12, uh, 
For, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. They didn't quote verse 13 that says this. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent, you will trample underfoot. Which is a statement of Genesis 3.15 that's fulfilled on the cross. But anyway, so Satan, Satan quotes scripture. He says, Concerning his angels, they will guard you in all your ways, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Come on. You can do this. It's a silly temptation. And Jesus just kind of, to me, Jesus kind of goes, come on. He says, Satan, it is also written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Don't be silly. Don't be stupid. So I've always gone, what is, what is this about? I mean, really, what, what? And here's why I think this temptation is in the Bible. This temptation is in the Bible, I think. This is my personal opinion. Because it shows how Satan takes Scripture and twists it and leads to imbalance. You take a verse, and it's not interpreted by other Scripture. It's not interpreted by the history of the church. And you just push it over here, and you become imbalanced, and you fall into error, and you fall into sometimes doctrinal grievous heresy. That's what Satan does. He, he twists and he pushes to imbalance. He twists and he pushes to imbalance. And, 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 and Jesus is saying, you know, come on. He says, see, all of us have a tendency to run different places on, on different issues. That's why I need the body of Christ. I need to be around brothers and sisters. There's a book called uh, The Doctrine of the Word of God by John Frame. I mentioned it, I think, three weeks ago. But John Frame says in that book, he calls, he says, calls it the cone of certainty. And he says in the Christian faith, it's like, it's like a cone. Here at the base of the cone are all these issues that we have to discuss and deal with and think about. And a lot of these issues we can disagree and and link arms and hands and still be brothers and sisters in the Lord. But as you really deal with the Bible, the, the, the severity and the importance of the issues go up and up and up until you get to the top. And you say, these issues we have to be willing to die for to really claim to be orthodox, Bible-believing, spirit-filled, Jesus-honoring disciples of Jesus. And, and, and he says that the problem is that so often we, we squabble about these things that aren't that important. Well, good of, and men and women of Google can disagree here, and, but we've got to really know these things. I need people in my life who say, remember, these things are the really important things. Because I have a tendency to be imbalanced. You meet some people that all they do is talk about grace, grace, grace. That's what I'm going to do. And they forget that we're also called to be holy people. We're talking about God's sovereignty, God's elective purposes, absolutely, but we also sometimes cannot talk about man's responsibility to obey. I need the body of Christ. Yesterday, I had a great day yesterday. The love on Charleston I thought was a wonderful experience. I was able to go with some people and just watch them work mostly. I gave them a lot of encouragement, go get them guys, you know. And, uh, but I was there, and just to hear the people talk and to laugh and to be with them was a joy. Then I went to a wedding last night, and after the wedding, I was at a reception and met some of the people there, and they were talking about the grace of Christ, and they were trusting the Lord with their kids and believing God in the upcoming general election and just, just how, how the Lord was working in their lives. And I just left saying, thanks be to God for the body of Christ. Thanks be to God for, for people that give me some type of balance. But the devil loves to twist the Bible. I can tell you how many times I've listened to someone, usually it's a man, say, 
I know that it's wrong to leave my wife and to take up with someone else. But the Bible says to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. God wants me to be happy. I've heard that time after time, several times. I was reading a book a few years ago on the temperance movement in America from 1870 to the adoption of the 18th Amendment in the 1920s. The 18th Amendment said that alcohol was prohibited in our country and it was overturned by the 21st Amendment to our Constitution. But it talked about the ramp up for the the, the, the temperance movement and the prohibition movement and, and how people spoke against demon rum and, and, and how they would have these mass rallies. And in some of the rallies, they would have a big banner across the top of the stage. And it said, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, Colossians 2.21. And, and, of course, you have a reverence for the Bible, so, wow, the Bible says that, so we need to listen. But, see, that is a, that, that, Paul is saying if you are truly in Jesus, then don't submit to silly rules like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. So what they were doing is they were taking the plain meaning of the text and just turning it upside down. And in that regard, they were demonic. So I need to be clear with Scripture. I need to have truth speakers in my life. I was just in the state of Washington with my son and his wonderful wife and our first grandchild, and it was a wonderful experience. And my son, who's just a joy to me, is kind of into podcasts, and he's listening to different guys and preachers, and he was kind of giving me an overview of the guys he's listening to, and he says, well, Dad, he's a great guy, but he's kind of arrogant. He's just, he needs to be less arrogant. I said, well, you may be right. I said, who's that guy? Am I arrogant? And he goes, mm, no. He said, but Dad, you don't scream as much as you used to. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you used to scream more than you do. I don't know what you're screaming about a few years ago because I didn't listen, but you were screaming all the time. I said, well, thank you very much for that encouragement. But anyway, truth speakers, when truth speakers are your children, is helpful. I need truth speakers in my life. So the really temptation is people twist the Bible or, or you get in a place where there's not balance. And then the third temptation is, is this one. The devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Now, I've got to tell you, when I study this, I believe temptation number one, stones to bread. Christ goes, Man shall not live, live by bread alone, but by everywhere that proceeds from the mouth of God. We, we read the Bible, study the Bible, glory in the goodness of God. Just come on, Satan. I think the silly sin of jumping from the top of the temple and letting angels catch you, Christ kind of did this like you're getting a gnat out of your face. Oh, come on. The Bible also says don't tempt the Lord your God. Give me a break. But I think this one, Christ spoke with iron resolve and anger. How dare you, Satan, the one from the pit of hell? How dare you ever suggest that I worship anyone other than Abba Father? Be gone! A couple years later, the chief leader of his disciple band, Peter, kind of said the same thing. Jesus said, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to suffer and die and rise on the third day. And Peter said, you're never going to be crucified on my watch. And what did he say? Get behind me, Satan. 
See, what Satan is saying here is make void the cross. Don't, don't do the cross thing. Don't do the, mess, the messianic thing. Don't, don't do the cross thing. And Jesus says, depart from me. Depart. Be gone. Now, I, I, here, the, the, if I'm going to fight spiritual warfare, I've got to be zealous for the character and the name and the reputation and the glory of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And when anything else intrudes in that and calls forth or beckons my ultimate allegiance, I say, be gone. Be gone. I got up yesterday morning and clicked on the news and started reading about this horrific thing in France. And I'd been grieving earlier this week about the situation in Lebanon where some people went in and jihadists killed people in that beautiful city of Beirut. And a Russian airliner shot from the sky, we think, by ISIS. And as I read these articles about, about, about men who, who go into a crowded cafe on a beautiful night in Paris and they detonate a bomb and kill 10 people, or, or they go into a music concert and just start machine gunning everybody around them. And, and then what grieved me beyond words is as they do this, they cry out, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. God is great. God is great. And I thought, what kind of demonic, sick, twisted, psychotic mind cries out the name of God and then kills innocent men and women and boys and girls. And how that grieves me because they're using the name of God who is glorious and good and merciful and triune, my Savior, my King, my Shepherd, my Advocate, my Lord, my God, my Elder Brother, my King, God. If I'm to fight the good fight, I've got to be zealous for the reputation and the name and the character and the glory of God. I said it before. If I go, if I see a movie and people are using bad language, I go, come on. But if they start using the Lord's name in vain, it's like somebody taking an ice pick and sticking me in the eye. How dare you use the name of God in a, kind, in a callous, uncaring, cursing fashion? His name is to be revered. So, so, so as I do this, so, so two couple of applications. Number one is this. Number one. In, in, in Matthew and in Mark, as I, we saw two, three weeks ago, Jesus is baptized, great, glorious, Trinitarian concept. It says he's baptized by John in the Jordan. He came up out of the water, and immediately he saw the heavens open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Wow. That's the beginning of his, beginning of his public ministry. Wow. Baptism, Trinitarian glory. The, the Spirit comes down like a dove. The Son being baptized. The Father, this is my beloved Son. With him I'm well pleased. Wow. And then it says this. And immediately... The Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. I just thought, in our own experience, my experience, oftentimes a time of spiritual joy and is followed by a discouraging time. Joy, discouragement. Abba Father is still there. 
Abba Father is still in control. But we fight a war that is, according to Westminster, it's a great phrase, which is continuous and irreconcilable. I will never be done with my sin or the devil or the world until I die. And, and so there are people here this morning who are in a pit of discouragement. Abba Father is there. He cares. He's able to do anything because he's Almighty God, and he will work in your life because he's your Heavenly Father by the cross of Jesus. People, some of us are on a pinnacle. It's good. It's real good. But we're in warfare. And there'll be the law of undulation, ups and downs. God is God. He's good. The other thing I noticed in studying this account in, in the book of, of Luke, after the temptations, it says this, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went throughout the whole surrounding countryside, and, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And, and, and I, I, when you fight against the forces of darkness, against the accuser, in such a way that you, you don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And as you study the Bible, you say God is glorious and he's good and he's my heavenly father. As you, as you fight the good fight of faith, and you don't twist scripture, but, but you let scripture speak to you by the Holy Spirit in conjunction with God's people. As you fight the good fight of faith and, you, and you're zealous for the character and the name and the glory and the reputation and the grandeur of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's power in that. You can say God... Empower me, anoint me by the Holy Spirit to preach Jesus, to communicate, to love the unlovely, to, to, to speak out of those who cannot speak for themselves. Anoint me, God. There's power in obedience. There's power in running to the Lord. And church, there's hope. There's hope. Don't be weary in the battle. I was reading an article about a guy named Larry King. Larry King was a CNN talk show host until 2011. And Larry King uh, was kind of forced out at the age of 77 by CNN. Um, and I read an article, interview with him, and he goes, he says, I, I've survived a heart attack, quintuple bypass surgery, prostate cancer, diabetes, and seven divorces. Seven, yeah. This is what he says. My heart broke when I read this. It just broke. Let me just say, Larry King has had some outstanding, articulate evangelicals on his show. I mean, he's heard the gospel a thousand times. Okay? It says, King gobbles four human growth hormone pills every day. He has even arranged to have his body frozen so that he can be brought back to life someday. He says, I know it sounds like I'm nuts, but at least it gives me a shred of hope. I just went, oh, man. And your hope is that they'll bring back a decaying carcass of a person and pump a few more years into your being? I mean, that's remotely possible. That's your hope. And I thought, my hope is that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You know, I was with a dear, 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 dear friend the other day who 
It's my brother. I just said my brother. He buried his wife two, a year ago, two weeks ago. I was with him on the day of anniversary of her death. and His daughter wanted to go by the cemetery. And uh, it was very touching. My brother, he told me, I rarely, I rarely go to the cemetery. And he said, you know what? He said, why? He said, she's not there. She's not there. God, dear God. I said, amen. She's with the Lord. That's her body. She's going to have a resurrection body one day. So, so you see, this, this gives us power and hope. Power, hope. So fight the good fight, brothers and sisters. Fight it. And as you fight it, and as you trust the goodness of God, and as you stay biblically sound, and as you are, are zealous for the reputation of God, empowerment comes. Amen. Well, let's close. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. So, Lord, we thank you for this, um, this day and for the mercy of Jesus in our lives. Thank you, Lord Christ. It's just, it's just so mind-boggling, mind-boggling to say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our God, that you became a man. And that was a plan before eternity, as we know it even began, and the fullness of time, you became a man, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, rose victorious over death. Thanks be to God. Ascended into heaven. You're praying for us now, Jesus. Thank you. You've poured out the Holy Spirit. So thank you. Empower us as we walk in your way. And uh, get the glory. Get the glory by us preaching the gospel. Get the glory by the gospel going out and, and falling on fertile soil where people will hear and believe in Jesus. and get, get the glory by turning our hearts to you. Get the glory by bringing revival to our country. Get the glory, Lord, by breaking the, the, the anger and the adamant spirit of, of, of ISIS and, and showing them the goodness of the God who is indeed merciful in Jesus. Get the glory. And we praise you.